Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 122 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I share our thoughts and notes with each other on the books we're reading for the first time. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book 6, The Halfling's Gem, chapter 13 through chapter 18, before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Rob, yeah. would you like to start the show? I mean, don't we have any housekeeping? Do we have any housekeeping, Rob? We don't. We don't? We don't. Okay. I think in the realm of posterity, any sort of housekeeping would be irrelevant. In the future, delays between episodes will mean nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. They're meaningless. The, this last episode is 121. This is episode 122. What kind of delay could there be? It, it is chronologically the one after the other. You could make the argument that it could not be more sequential. I think I did. You didn't say that, though. I had to fucking say it. <laughs> you reframed my words, sure, to make them more palatable. I might have. I, maybe I reframed them. Maybe I put them in a nice mat. Maybe yeah. I uh, found some nice museum-quality glass that you mm -hmm. shouldn't touch. Um, With the gilding and, and put it in, carved. Yeah. And then yeah. I put it. I, I mounted it on the wall so people could appreciate what you had left in your dustbin. Yeah. Sounds cool. Sounds it's the Death Readers Museum. Cool. Uh, <laughs> um, so that brings us here. Wow. So salty for, for like... Did you get any salt in that burn, Rob? Not yet. It seems like you're spewing a lot of... You're like fucking salt bay just dripping. Watch out. You're going to get it in there. All right, whatever. Um, Fine. No housekeeping. <laughs> That brings us to chapter 13, Paying the Piper. Summary. Entreri finally brings Regis to Pashapook, where he meets Rassiter, the were-rat, the were <laughs> learns that Pook tried to have Dritz and Wolfgar killed, and learns his room's been taken by Laval. Regis's punishment for stealing the gem is to spend the night in a pit surrounded by eight big scary cats. I have no notes in this chapter. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Um... Just as there's a lot of, I won't say mixed um, descriptions of were rats, but I was confused about, you know, when a were rat was a were rat in this chapter. And was red. I think because he keeps referring to Rassiter as a were rat, and, but I think Rassiter is in human form, and that's very confusing. Yeah, I am bummed out at how many times the word were rats used for someone who's not in their. Could you even call it lycanthropic form? Because well, I've got a note a on that specifically later. Apologies, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but I would say no, you can't. Okay, good. Uh, but but I mean that that raises a, I guess I guess maybe that's his angle is that since the creature in question is not a human, it's a were rat which has two forms, arguably at least two forms. As a whole, you would collectively refer to him as a were rat. So maybe that's where he's coming from. I think it has to be. I just don't if like it. If you're aware of anything, you're no longer human. So you can't say in his human form, you can't say the human Rassiter waiting to turn into a were-rat. You would just say, hey, he's the were-rat. See, I've never liked that aspect of horror mythos. I don't like it with vampires. I don't like it with uh, wares. Uh, because almost every time, it's either referred to as a curse or mm. a disease of some kind. Okay. And... Uh, I've yet to encounter a disease that 
and curses obviously are either fictional or imaginary, but I've, I've yet to encounter a disease that changes your DNA to such a point that you become a different species of some kind. And uh, so I think that's fucking stupid. And I've always, did, I've always what exactly is stupid. I'm missing the idea that you, you, if you're a werewolf, you are no longer human. You are a werewolf. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That that actually that's a good argument. That's true. Because if you yeah, you are afflicted with being a werewolf, then I think when you transform, you're the werewolf, and otherwise you're just a cursed human that's eaten its family. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and but I I saw it in in what we do in the shadows, uh, an episode that I saw recently where the doll ran away and threw a fit. Mm-hmm. The doll that's possessed by the the deceased human soul of Nadia. Yep. Um. And and I and there's a part where they they font her, you know, they give her a, a lower third, and they call her something like the doll that's possessed by Nadia's just like departed human soul or something like that. And I was just like, it just rubbed me the wrong way. This idea of like her human soul, like in quotations, like she's. I actually like though that that aspect of what we do in the shadows. Now what we do in the shadows cast, uh, because I've always wondered like. There's a, there's a lot of approaches of vampirism, and it's if if they kill you and you rise as a vampire, what's happened to your soul, or has it just been corrupted? At least they've given an answer. That right. It's a it's a fun twist, and it allows for some fun explorations. Even if, if that's you don't not agree the part I have a problem with. The, I I like that element of the show. Okay. I then... don't like that they refer to it as her human soul. Oh, okay. Well, the I think to differentiate again, that, that the... why it's different than the vampire. So there's that a vampire killed... soul now? No, she's a soulless beast, a monster. Then why why not just say her soul? And the point and the reason I I know the answer. The reason I'm trying to get to is because they're in, inferring that she is no longer human. This is a remnant of her human existence before she was became a vampire. That's well, vampires I, I would stupid. I've No, I mean I feel like even back in Dracula like she's no longer human. They say that a lot. That's old. No, I I'm not saying it's new. I'm saying I think it's a dumb part of of the horror mythos for these monsters. I'm saying I don't think it's dumb for vampires. I do think it's dumb for werewolves. Okay. I okay. don't see it. I don't see it as any different, like, because okay. it's, it's the same thing. It's either a disease of some kind or a curse of some kind. There's no, there's rarely other types of vampires. Mm-hmm. And unless there's space vampires that are just aliens and that's where the vampire comes from. Uh, even then, like, I could believe that like, okay, you've been like, you haven't been necessarily infected by a vampire bite from an alien vampire. You are like, you have been, uh, uh, occupied by or possessed by like you, you have been infested rather than infected. And now your body is being changed from human to vampire in that way. But that's almost never how horror describes it. Unless it's again, like cosmic horror or some kind of space horror like uh, life force. Mm. I disagree. I think a lot of vampire books describe it as, you know, every cell, every fiber of my being was changed and twisted. And rice, even twilight, I think did something well, to that effect. Sounds like we're going to have to read all those. Oh, <sighs> you just set it up. Hope you like next, next uh, books roll off being twilight and interview the vampire. Hey, I'm, 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 quasi down with interview with a vampire i can at least get past the boring writing and pretend i'm in ye oldie louisiana all right um so i don't like that stuff we can move on okay i need a preposition man
Are you done with that chapter? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let us advance to... There we go. Chapter 14, Dancing Snakes. Summary. Dritzt and the companions make landfall where they purchase camels from a shady merchant, then travel west towards the desert in an attempt to avoid the thieves on the road to the south, but nevertheless find their way to an ambush. Then it's like eight pages of incoherent fighting. I have We both have notes on page 169. You should go first. I was intrigued by the brief, brief mention of uh, forest drow or wood, or wood drow. And I don't think we're going to see them again in this book. And that means I will never read about them again because I will never read past this book. Yep. Um, yeah, no, uh, yep. I, I, I think that it's maybe, it could be an allusion to that thing that we talked about earlier this year where Salvatore mentioned, uh, in like articles that I think I got in a bit, bit of hot water about his, the way he, the way Dungeons and Dragons itself treats, uh, the evil races and how they refer to things like that and how like, you know, it's kind of fucked up to presume that there are such things. And so he, he, I think we talked about it on the show, but he, mm-hmm. he said he was going to write another books or series of books, a trilogy, honestly, probably a trilogy that could have just been one fucking book. And it would probably be so much better if he just stopped writing shit and wrote well, um, that he was going to, uh, look into different cultures of drow and explain that they are not all evil innately because of their race, that the Menzo Barons and drow are evil because of their culture or whatever, so, um, it could be an exceptionally well-laid Easter egg, or he's a very bad writer. Or he's laying a seed for an, an eighth or ninth book. That, well, like you said, we'll never read. We, we, he, maybe they will go to Merwood uh, on the way back. Best of luck. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my note is that there's a section here on page 169 where Brunor... It's it's written that Brunor thinks or says uh, that he is disgusted by a world too blinded by a cover to read the book inside, and that's in relation to Dritz's skin color and how poorly he's treated because of racists. And I just thought that, you know, that's a really good message for Salvatore to be sharing with the world, and I applaud that, but it would mean a lot more coming from an author whose books were better than their covers. And I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like these are those books. <laughs> no, they really aren't. It's um, a great, it's a great sentiment. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, I have another note here though. Okay. And it's about Dritz mask. So as much as I want to shit on these books and I did, I just don't like them <laughs> or I've, I've learned to not like them. The, I will say that, that Salvatore is pretty good when it comes to these sort of metaphors and this symbolism for different things. And the mask is like, it's a pretty basic like metaphor for blending in and all that. And it works fine uh, just on that level on an adventure story. But it also kind of like, it speaks to this concept of uh, this sociological concept that I have no reason to believe Salvatore is aware of. Uh, but it's this thing called dramaturgy or okay. dramaturgy which is this idea that uh, everyone is playing a role in their lives. They're, they're basically playing a version of themselves in a grand performance or stage that is life. And that like, if 
they perform the character they believe is the best character for them to perform for their circumstances, for their needs, for their uh, goals, etc. And it's it's cool. It's interesting because Dritz is absolutely doing that. Like he plays this role of this surface elf to pass in society uh, and to to get all the advantages of a surface elf while still very much being a drow. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting like thing to read about. And and it's uh, I think it's a pretty well done version of explaining that concept, or at least like showing an example of what that could look like through in fiction. Absolutely. But uh but it's still not a very good book. But I guess, like I said, it's 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 that little stuff where sometimes it's like I really don't believe that I am I don't believe these books are too smart for me. No. But sometimes they show glimmers of depth that make me happy in a little mm-hmm. bit of a way, but happy if I was like 12. Again, I think if like if I was 12 and I needed this stuff, it would be great, but for me, I'm just I just don't like it at this age so that's all i got do you any more notes in that chapter um what do i have i'm 173 i have i appreciate dritz and thereby salvatore's approach to open approach to cultures Mm. or to look up what what i was talking about Uh, and there's this passage on 173 never have i so longed for home the huge barbarian sighed truly overwhelmed it is another adventure nothing more dritz reminded him nowhere might you learn more than in a land unlike your own it's another concept I really I really liked. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Cool. I I don't think I am a person who would specifically disagree with R.A. Salvatore's politics and approaches to life in general. I just yeah. uh, don't like his books too much. Nope. They uh they are bad. Um <laughs> Uh, I, cause yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's the same thing I was saying before. Like, oh, he's, he's saying stuff that I agree with and I appreciate and understand. Why does he have to say it so shitty? Why does he have to write it in such a shitty book? Why can't he just write a good book? Page 174. Okay. Um, I just have bitter disappointment from the last five books we've read. And I said, so the Sully Dalib adventure that's promised here will it just be three chapters. Will it be three chapters or more, or will it just finish by the end of this chapter? But they actually took us on a little adventure with that, so I have to eat those words. <laughs> I guess, but like it, again, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares about that character? It doesn't ultimately matter, no. But I guess they do. It, it was more the he did take a little bit of time to explore some consequences. But yeah, it's that weighing of, but it also goes nowhere. So you've wasted my time. Do we have that- to have this at all? I guess my problem is I with these books are so arduous, maybe not the right word. I fucking don't care anymore. But like reading them is such a chore mm-hmm. that any character that's introduced, it's hard to understand if they'll be worth it, like worth reading through when they don't appear to add anything to the story and then are gone instantly. And it's not in the same way like where Game of Thrones did that. Mm-hmm. Because the way games Game of Thrones was the story games Game of Thrones was telling was a story about politics. It was a story about the kingdom itself and how these different people were were of their their actions were affecting the politics and the and the decisions of the land, as opposed to a story about a hero doing a thing. Right. And in those stories, you could have a character show up for a little bit 
influence the world and then die because that's what happens to people. But in these books, these characters show up, do something inconsequential or just obviously uh, functioning as a, a, a reason to get something from point A to point B. And then they disappear and they're not fun. They're not interesting. They're just, it's just done. Do you remember that these characters fought a banshee in the beginning of this book? Not until you mentioned it. Because it doesn't matter. Right. And that sucks. <laughs> like, it sucks that that was a really fun thing to read, and it meant nothing. It, it got Dritz a mask that is cool and maybe symbolic and helpful for a metaphor, but, like, would the book... I don't know. I, I just It just feels like... It just feels disconnected. It, just, it really just feels like these things are just... They're just other happening than, in Other order. than getting the magic item, they didn't really grow from it. Nope. Like, Bilbo was affected after dealing with Gollum. And, and, and maybe the world would change after that, too. Like, it would be cool to read this book and then find out, like, oh, that banshee uh, killed all the people in that town or something. Like, if there was a consequence for their actions that we could see, and they learn from that. But I don't see that happening, I, 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 especially by the end of this book. Like, we've, we've seen these characters do things that... And, and uh, yeah, it's, I have something to say about that in a later note, but it's hard to feel like these characters matter, even the hero characters, because they're just adventurers achieving their goals. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Do you have any more notes in this chapter? Next note, 180. All right. I feel like you've read more high fantasy than I have, or dealt with it more. Are dwarves always supposed to be comic relief? Because there's this whole bit where Brunor is rushing at somebody to chop him up and Cadibri shoots him from behind. And because of his momentum, he goes head over heels and is like, Rah! I don't think it's... Never touch the beard! I don't think it's always of... a thing. I do think that it is a crutch. Uh, and again, this guy just loves Tolkien so much that he cannot help himself from just aping Tolkien style. And I, I, his and I don't, yeah, I don't remember if that is in the books or not. It probably is though. It's certainly in the movies. Sure. Gimli's a 50, 50 brutal warrior and comic relief. And even the dwarves in, in the Hobbit prequels are the dishes like, and the silliness and, and the, the yeah. barrels. And then, and then also just like, they really beat the shit out of a dragon, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's it's i don't know i may maybe maybe there's maybe there's fault in the question maybe the question supposes that this is something that's exclusive to dwarves when it could just be all types of characters or species of characters cuz it's just a thing about like fiction where you don't want one character to be fully one dimensional but i also think that it's entirely possible that there's just some innate prejudice mm-hmm. like short characters in general like the the halflings the gnomes the dwarves they're all they all become slightly the... more twee and they yeah they get some butt of joke uh mm. a lot of because they're down there with the butts yep butt level butt level it's so i think that there's it's probably just that old school sizest ableist whatever you want to call it prejudice that's... i mean they're, they're yeah this this group of people is are lesser yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I can't think of, I can't think of a story with dwarves where they are not somewhat goofy or fanciful. 
Um, but I think that that is exactly part of the plight of the, you know, little people mm-hmm. that we, we, that are, are, you know, fucking real people around right. that they, they have like this, unfortunately they, they're maligned in a lot of different ways and it's unfortunate, uh, especially when you're talking about representation. Like it's unfortunate when you're like, you may, you may be onto something. It could very much be that this is a, spe- this is something that is a, it isn't so much like a oh dwarves have to be this way but it is oh weird there's a pattern dwarves are often written this way mm-hmm. and therefore the representation for little people in fiction is almost exclusively to be mocked and that can't feel good no can't, can't imagine every time you're represented or something that you can't not be identified as is represented in a way that makes you feel bad like that's fucking horrible I will say that in the uh, again in the Discworld books, there are often dwarf characters, and there will be the lowbrow jokes. But then the author makes it pretty clear that the characters who make them, you know, they're, it's a pretty shitty thing to do too. Yes, yes. And it's 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 pretty well done. So, props yeah. to Terry Pratchett once those again. Those sound like those sound like good books. I know what they're if, great. If I could believe good books existed <laughs> after reading these books. <laughs> Oh. Um, the the books that I would believe were good books sound like the books you're describing. Okay. But you're not going to get me to believe that there are good books out there. <laughs> not after I've read six Salvatore novels. Oh, boy. My brain feels like Sherbert when I read these books. It's not even creamy like ice cream. It's just sort of... Gritty. It's just sort of frozen water juice. <sighs> um, do you have any more notes in this chapter? Did you already say no? I did not. But I do not. Advance us, good sir. To Chapter 15, The Guide. Summary. After a brief scene where Regis resists Pashapook's suggestive gem and is punished for it by having his hand impaled by a barbed spike, we get an even longer scene of the companions returning to the desert merchant who gave them directions leading to an ambush. After a long chase, the companions force the merchant and his goblin lover to guide them to their desired destination. Dritzt doesn't like the bright, hot, forgotten realm summers. That's the last <laughs> note I had. Because I think that would have arguably been an actual note, but I was like, I don't want to write a note. Just put it in the summary. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, yeah, the impaling of the hand was brutal and unnecessary and boring like it was it was it it showed to what extent pasha pook meant business and they didn't cut away like they did with intrary cutting his finger off they like so so i mean it added a a a little bit of menace to pasha pook you understood he wasn't just messing around i guess and i can't remember if we if i asked this before there's healing in this world, right? Does it need to be right when the wound happens, or can they just fix Regis's hand after the book? It's a world of pure imagination. Anything's possible, and I don't right. say that to be dismissive. Sure, no, I, it's literally the well. Realm I just of, you, but there, maybe there's a uh, a famous healing spell in campaigns where you can't use it after so many turns have passed. I don't know, man. It's, okay, fair enough. I have no notes. Yeah, I don't either. I I don't like this chapter. Okay. Um, I don't like the Agrabah chase scene. I don't like the returning to to the guy. Like, how long did it take them to get out there to get ambushed? And then mm-hmm. how long does it take them to return? 
all that time is lost in pursuing their friend. Like, they like, probably lost 48 hours. Yeah, like that's that's a lot of time to lose um, when you know the guy at the other end of that time has all the advantages. Um, unless, of course, they're just they, they again, this could have happened off page, but they were the, the companions just thought, well, we really don't know if we should trust that this is the right direction at all. So I let's mean, go back and force that guy to take right. us the right way. But I don't know. Um, I just found it boring. I, I just found it, it was another one of those things where it's like, why is this in the book? Why is this character here? He's literally there to get them to the destination they were already going. They already essentially knew the way. They just right. had to keep going on the road to the south. In Dungeons and Dragons, there's fucking ambushes and bandits all over the place. Every fucking turn, you could find yourself at the end of a sword. It's it should be no shock that someone would say, "Oh, them, there's bandits in them their roads." Like, and then you that, just run into them. Yes. So, so the idea that they need to find that they would need to find a guy to tell them to go to the right, go a different direction, so they could find bandits, so we could have an action scene, so they could come back to that guy to have another chase scene, so that then they could beat that guy up, so then they could make him take them to the destination they already knew the directions to. Is pad. <laughs> it is very bad. No, 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 I, no! It's not bad. It's pad. Oh, it pad! Is, like it padded. Yes, is in. Gotcha. It is filling out a book that uh, with bullshit, with unnecessary, unhelpful shit, and I don't like that. It feels like it's a. It, this is why these books feel like a waste of my time. Right. Because I can see this is just like a big fucking loop in the because in the process. In I mean, taking his hero Tolkien. I remember in the early part of the first book, there's some shitty hobbits in the Shire and they leave and they go on their adventure, the the main four and everything happens. And then at the end of the last book, they come back to the Shire and that's when they deal with kicking those bad hobbits ass. That's how you would do that. Sure. You yeah. This guy, he's, he's trying to do it all right now. And, and they, and didn't need, you're right. It's, 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 it's bad padding. It could have been a really fun way to like on their way back after rescuing Regis, they go beat the fuck out of this guy. Because then he—that's when the guy realizes, oh shit, they made it. Oh shit, they, oh, oh shit, I sold, I sold oh, them out. Yes, exactly. Now maybe this guy's gonna come back at some point, and it's leading into another book. But I don't fucking care about that. Just right. write one good book at a time. Don't try to write seventeen sub mediocre books. Don't Iron Man two this. It's just bad. I don't. I don't like it. Um, okay, let's move on. Um, I don't have any notes in this chapter. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Nope. That brings us to... Epilogue. Summary. Intriri bullies Laval into using his crystal ball to determine if the pirates had, in fact, killed the companions. He learns what we already know about their successes and learns their location from the captive pirate captain. Intriri bribes Laval into keeping this information from Pashapuk with the gift of Guinevere. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Nope. Cool, me neither. Uh, that brings us to Book 3, Desert Empires, Chapter 16, Never a Fowler Place. Summary. This chapter checks in with most of our characters. Intriri and Rassiter scheme for dominance of the city streets and the loyalty of a halfling named Dum Dum. Tritz and his <laughs> companions make their way to Pashapuk City and bid farewell to their sleazy tour guide. Before the chapter ends, Dritz sort of has a seemingly unmotivated emotional breakdown. 
Um, Do you have any notes? Couple notes. I, I got, got a note on page two hundred three. Where's your first note? Two hundred one or earlier. Do it. Uh, was I was very confused at first if Dum uh, Dum was a were rat or not. And he then, apparently is. Apparently he is. I, I finally got there, but I was like, this is just so oblique. It's obfuscated. It's not clear writing. No. It's not. I like I like the idea. I always I always like the idea of a an atypical character being cursed with something like that. Like I'm always curious what happens if an alien were to come to Earth and get bitten by a werewolf. Or what happens if a werewolf is in outer space and going by Jupiter with its thirty some moons and like like shit like that. I'm like, oh werewolves in space, I want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um if an alien is infected, would they be an Earth-like wolf form, or would it be some beast on their planet that they draw? Uh, how does this work? So it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, okay, cool, halfling were rat, neat. But man, it is not fun to read, and I wish it were. Yeah, same. Uh, it just um, sucks. And then to page 201 is where I double down on lycanthropy, because the can in lycanthrope is as in canine, canine, canis. Right. Canis. Wolf, right. so no, you can't call him a lycanthrop, like lycanthropic stage or phase or whatever because he's not. I yeah, unfortunately, I think that is just a Dungeons and Dragons mistake. Um, I'm fairly certain that in the monster manual, the section for for people who can turn into animals and animal versions of people, um, they're in they're in the subcategory of lycanthropy or lycanthropes. So it's just like, which I kind of get. I get it in the terms of the fantasy world where it's like, listen, everybody knows what a fucking werewolf is. Sure. So if we're going to make a were cat or a were like tiger or a were rat, we might as well just keep them all under the same category because all the basic rules apply. I just call them wares. Sure. But at the same time, I think it's more just like, well, that was the first time that was the first one. Everybody calls that a lycanthrope. So these are all also kind of lycanthropes. And I, I, I get it's not, it's not, correct right but i think it's one of those like i i just basically accept it as one of those things like we've talked about this before not you know not all copies you make on a copier are xeroxes not every tissue paper brand is a kleenex true and but because that one thing was so not every sticky note is a post-it note but because that first one was so impactful was so iconic everything after that just becomes one of those things in the common parlance. So that's how I justify the where the lycanthrope thing is. It's just another one of those. Okay. Page 202. 202. Okay. I was very amused that the citizens of Calumport are referred to as Kalashites. Yeah. Uh, cause it's shite. Yeah. Um, why not Calum? Calympians or or Calamites Calamites well because they hang from the they push up from the ground as opposed to hanging from the ceiling Calatites right yeah (laughs) Um, I was just like that's not the only thing that's shite (laughs) I've got a note here I enjoyed Caddy Bree's ruse I don't remember what that's in regard to because this isn't the one where she pretends to be dead it's um no, this is where she pr- pretends she she puts flour 
on the uh, guy's forehead in the shape of a scimitar. Uh, yes, yes, her fake magic. Yes, her fake yes, magic. Yes, that was great. That, I like that. It was great. Because this guy doesn't know. Right. Fantastic. But Ryan doesn't even know. Like, he has a whole bunch of smoke bombs and stuff. Does Is he not some... I don't I don't know, man. I think it's, I think he's a poser. It's fine. It's fine. He's he's dealing the artifacts, but he doesn't know how to practice the craft. Yeah, I, I don't. Um. Oh, I do have one more on page two ten. Do you have anything? I have I have two before that. Okay, go for it. Uh, two o three. I'm surprised Salvatore wrote Pasha poop in his own book. It's almost <laughs> like. He knows his names are stupid, but doesn't care enough to imagine better names. Very true. Very true. That that made me so mad when I read it. it. You, I was just like, are you saying it's Kalashite? Yes. It's it's just like it's that thing where it's like, are you not taking this seriously, or do you have a terrible sense of humor? Because either one I don't enjoy, but one feels like an insult. Like one feels like. Like something I feel like I've I've felt with these books before, which is like, oh fuck you, reader, you don't deserve better. Like, like I have enough insight into my own writing to know this is stupid, mm-hmm. so I'm just gonna ma- double down on pointing at it and saying, get it? The thing you're reading, the thing you spent money on, it's in time on. It's stupid. Doesn't that kind of make you feel like you're stupid for putting time and effort into this thing? Yeah, I'm gonna call my character Pasha Poop. <laughs> in the book I'm going to take it away from the, the message boards that don't even exist yet I know you're all going to call him Pasha Poop I know you're going to say that and so I'm just going to do it first and then it's like yeah cool way to go call him something different <laughs> just rename him in the whole book he doesn't have to be Pasha Pook that's a dumb <laughs> name it was a dumb name the first time you read it and wrote it just fix it just don't write dumb names it's not hard. Dune just came out. Isn't there a guy in that named Duncan Idaho? Yeah. That's a dumb fucking name. <laughs> That's a stupid fucking name. Do better. Like what, it What about Gurney Halleck? I'm actually fine with that. Oh, okay. But like 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 uh Johnny Utah. That's what Duncan Idaho reminds me of. Wow, what is Johnny Utah? Johnny Utah is uh, Keanu Reeves' character from Point Break. Right. Okay. Okay. It's fucking stupid, and that, I'm pretty, pretty sure that was his. Stupid. I'm pretty sure that was either his real name, yeah. or his fake undercover surfer cop name. I've, either way. Either way, it's fucking stupid. But I would believe it if it was like, no, this is my dumb undercover name because undercover names are dumb. Right. I don't like it. I just, there's something about it. Like, I, I guess I can forgive a guy who has to come up with a bunch of fantasy names, but like to sit there and call out that you called a guy Pasha poop. <laughs> I take it personally. <laughs> will not stand. So yeah, fuck that. Uh, page 209. So Dritz just, uh, he sort of acknowledges that he ex- he expects Wolfgar and Caddy Debris to have kids, even though they are basically siblings and have had almost no romantic interactions up to this point in the story. Uh, that's dumb. I don't like that. Also, oh. yeah. Totally also, yeah. at this point, he also basically suggests that 
he's kind of envious and he wishes he had made a move on Caddy Bree before Wolfgar did. Did I miss both of those? Yeah. Where's the where's that one? It's in the same paragraph. Oh. Where she kind of flirts with him in a you missed out way. Leading to Okay. Well, let me let's find it. Um Well, so there's And if only ye'd ever learn to love, Caddy Bree continued, her voice barely audible. Sure and you've let things slip past, Stritz to Warden. He's all like, Oh Gross. He tried to fathom what she was getting at, what personal message she was sending to him. Caddy Bree put her hand on Wolfgar and flashed him an adoring smile. Triss yeah. was glad they had found each other. They would grow together in blessed and joyful life, rearing children that would no doubt be the envy of all the Northland. Caddy B. Yeah, Bree he, yeah. looked back to Dritzt. Just for your thoughts, my friend, she said quietly, calmly. Are you more trapped by the way the world sees you? Or by the way the world sees? The way you see the world seeing? Oh, my God. That's okay, probably why I was okay, like, Okay, uh. so, yeah, here, here comes the part that I was, uh... Time to hunt, Caddy Bree cried, satisfied that she got her gotten her point across. She rose behind Wolfgar and headed for the door, but she turned her head over her shoulder to face Stritz one final time, giving him a look that told him that perhaps he should have asked for more from Caddy Bree back in Icewind Dale before Wolfgar had entered her life. When Wolfgar entered her life, she was 15. I think. Yeah. Fucking gross. Different time, man. It's the it's the uh She was realms. fifteen. That was three or four years after Dritz entered her life. So again, they met when she was a child. 11. Yeah. Yeah. And Yeah, uh, but but she was fifteen. He he was fifty. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't wanna argue against what you're saying because it's so Obviously bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's because you, you, you're gonna you're gonna know you know why what you said was wrong. Yeah, and uh, I do. I admit it freely, and without reserve, candidly yeah. without reserve. Sorry. Yeah. So I don't like that. Uh, it makes me feel weird about this hero, and I don't like this sequence. And it, what's it do? I don't like it. Anyway, and then and then like there's this point where she says this thing about like, she asks him about. Why he wants to, why he's after Intrary. Is it to mm-hmm. save Regis or is it for something else? And she sort of suggests and implies that if Dritz were to kill Artemis Intrary for anything other than the safe return of Regis, then that would somehow soil Dritz. Yeah, she's given him the, um, the, the third act superhero bullshit. Don't become him. Speech. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Like I have my, my, my note here says, Dritz has killed many things over the last six books, and I can't think of any of his kills that would have been any more brutal or final if or he deserving. had been killing, if he had been, or less deserving, right. if he had been, if he had been killing for sport instead of goodness. Right. And, and to think, like, the bad guys he killed, for whatever reason, they're no less dead because he did it out of nobility or righteousness. Right. What's it fucking matter in this world? Life is cheap here. Uh, it's 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 a weird bullshit moralizing to bring in for the sake of doing so because that's what you have to have in, because that's what heroes. heroes do right yeah it's it's a tropey bullshit <laughs> thing that just doesn't fit and it's 
if these books were better, I'd call it a huge letdown. But unfortunately, <laughs> they're so bad that it's just one in a long line of letdowns. Sure. So what's it? It doesn't really fucking matter, and that makes me just sadder than it makes me angry. Right. It makes me sad that these books keep existing uh, in my life. <laughs> I'm done with notes. You had a note on page two ten. Yes, I did. Almost the next sentence, really. It just struck me as weird. I'm just going to read it out and see if you agree with me or think I'm just a wonky spunky. Uh, That one. I'm going to go with that one. Trit sighed as they left the room and instinctively reached for the magical mask. Instinctively, he wondered. (laughs) And that that was a that's a weird break of the fourth wall. I felt it's like he's reacting to the narration and it, it 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 weirded me out. Did you watch Marvel What If? Yeah. All of it? Yeah. It was like the scene where the Watcher was narrating and Ultron became aware of him. That's exactly right. what it rem- reminded me of. And I was like, right. this book has the potential to become really fucking interesting. I doubt it will. That no, was no, that was some never-ending story shit. But I, yeah. maybe it was just a weird choice on Salvatore's part. But I think unless he's setting that up, it should have been written differently. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's 100% just this weird mix of how much is third person omniscient narration actually the or third interior monologue yeah how much is third person omniscient narrative or narration actually mirrored in first person perspective uh internal monologue i then it's a lazy examination of that i'm not even thinking it's an examination i think it's just a blurred line i think it's like he had it's like it's like the the leftover uh, eraser mark when you cross out a word and then fill up a word in front of it or on top of it. Yeah, but it also, I mean, just the construction of it supposes that he referred to that in his own mind as instinctive. I'm picking this up instinctively. What? Right. And he, yeah. he wouldn't do that. That's not no. natural. So Dritz thought that he picked it up instinctively and then thought, I picked it up instinctively? That would, that, that would be better. Yeah, but that's not even what it is. And no. it's it's not great. No. Um, I'm still hoping that Driss is going to become self-aware and uh, team up you with want- Bastia and Balthazar Bucked, and they're going to ride Falcor and save the childlike Empress, and goddammit, Fantasia is going to live again. It's funny that you go to, to NeverEnding, because I go to Deadpool. <laughs> I, I think that was my thought when I was writing the note, but I didn't write that down, so it, yeah, it just became... You know it's called Fantastica in the book? What is? Fantasia. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, so at a uh, so in in Marvel Comics, I think it was Captain Marvel the uh, or Captain Marvel mm-hmm. the original uh, Marvel. No, Genusvel, uh, his son. Oh. I believe it's him when he fuses with Rick Jones. I believe that I haven't read this series, but my understanding of it is that that he gets this thing called cosmic awareness, which lets him just know stuff sometimes seems more convenient than good but at a certain point uh deadpool became bequeathed with something called comics awareness which let him understand that he was in a comic book and understand that like who his writers were and everything else he needed to know about comic books so yeah that's what i was thinking about gwenpool is somewhat similar oh is it i'm sure it is she's fine sure (laughs) i have no more notes Cool. Let's move on to the next thing, which is chapter 17, impossible loyalties. 
Impossible, you say? All right, summary. After Laval bestows the enchanted figurine upon Pashapuk as a gift, the crime lord attempts to force Guinevere to kill Regis, but the wily cat simply transports the halfling to its astral dimension. That's what happens in this chapter. Uh, so a couple things. Yeah. I actually thought it was a clever use of the pieces as they lay that Guinevere had the wherewithal to save uh, Regis the only way she knew how. This is neat. Um, I read this section over the course of two weeks, so I had already <laughs> forgotten who Laval was. Yeah. And I'm like, who's Laval and why does he have Gunweaver? And that's why I was super happy when at the head of that other chapter, you were like, Cherry gave Laval Gunweaver. I'm like, right. Um, my only other note is page 214. Do you have any notes? I have an overview of this chapter. Well, then let me give you my note. The halfling's jaw dropped to his chest, chest when the magical cat slipped out of the half-open door to Laval's room. Where did you get him? Regis stuttered. Magnificent, is he not? What the fuck is happening? Are you talking about the gender? Yes. He's hyper-progressive, and the, the cat has a transitioning gender. Would that that were the case, my friend. <laughs> I think instead, he doesn't read over his own notes. And doesn't keep a ledger of the details he creates to, when he writes the next book, make sure everything's simpatico. <laughs> next book, dude. Next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very, very... It's so weird. Maybe there's That's... something at play, but after six books, or if it Weaver wasn't in the first book, five books... This should be addressed by now. This back I don't and forth. know, man. I, I honestly don't know anymore. I think I'd have to reread them all and take notes every time. I'm never going to do that. So, like, I I feel like it could... I feel like Salvatore is, is that kind of bad writer that, like, if you gave him an option for it to have been clever, he would just insist it was. Like, if you said... Are you, is there some sort of like, uh, pro gender neutral or, or transgendered like message in your writing specifically about, uh, Guinevere's, uh, changing gender identity. And he would go, yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad someone finally picked up on it. I'm glad we finally got into an age where readers can see what I was doing this whole time. And in the reality, it's like him in the nineties snorting Coke and just like frantically writing and not paying attention to his pronouns. I'm not saying I have any evidence that that is the case. I'm saying that's my fantasy. That's great fantasy. I will, I will say according to Google's fantasy, uh, in the first three books, Gunweaver was a male. And in the third three books or the second three books, she was a female, but then we read the special editions of the first two. So I feel like we've probably gone on a little bit of a temporal roller coaster ride. Because these are not the special editions. This one certainly is not, yes. This is the old school original first three. Right. So that's why it's a boy in this. Yeah. Okay. Because it's obviously a girl cat the whole time. Come on. He fucks that cat. Like, and I. <laughs> well, now, hold on. That's a whole different kettle of fish. He could fuck the cat if the cat were a boy. I don't, I don't think Salvatore would allow that. I don't think he's maybe, that progressive. Maybe. Okay. 
He if that's, his, if that's the the parameters of your supposition, then I will allow that. He keeps his bestiality as the Lord intended it. Between a man and a cat. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I, I'll say I will say this as as a retort to my own silliness. Have you seen a gay character in these books yet? Well, I mean, you suggested that the goblin and the <laughs> I suggested, were lovers. You but it's know. not it's not real. I have not. But again, you know, like eighty nine or whatever. It's not necessarily something you wrote about unless you specifically had an agenda. You couldn't just it, write it for inclusion. Mo- it very well could have been just a product of its time, but I, uh, cause I also feel like sometimes, especially when I was younger and again, who were these books written for? If I, if I read anything about a character being homosexual or having, uh, non straight, uh, non heterosexual, leanings. Uh, leanings that I, I would, I would instantly as a child assumed I was about to read a porno. Sure. Uh, cause my thought at the time is it's like, Oh, well, if this isn't, like, heteronormative, then it must be pornography. Because right. that's the only reason you would ever talk about this subject. Right. Is if you're about to talk about, like, sex and right. fucking. So maybe that's... Maybe I'm not alone as a as a child in... in oh, no, I think I was, I was I was, I was, was right there with you. And so if that's the case, maybe they... Maybe, maybe Salvatore or the writers or people who wrote fantasy books at the time knew that. And knew, like, yeah, you can't really... If you're targeting that, that younger audience, you can't... You got to keep things heteronormative. I don't even believe they've used that term, but like that's that seems to be what's happening here. But what's her name? That other writer I like. Um, God, did I read that book a fucking year ago? Where's that book? That lady who wrote that book I like the the take a bite out of the sun or whatever it was called. Do you remember that? When I was telling you about that book. I was telling you about her because she's a she's a lesbian uh, sci fi writer, and and you're like my mom had some of this stuff. And then you give me that like that slant eye like of like oh oh no, what am I saying about my mother? I don't remember any of this. You're you not talking about Starhawk, are you? No. Okay. Don't bite the sun. Yeah, that's it. Tanith Lee. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, your mom had some Tanith Lee books. Maybe she had a lot of weird books. Yeah, don't bite the sun. That book's great. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's great because it's not like any other book I'd ever read. And sure. it felt like one of those weird, like, predictive books about the future where it's like everyone has avatars and everyone lives in this sort of fantasy world that's like, it's like a, it's like a second life, but like real. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you actually get a new body when you want it and you can design it to look all fucking weird and have like half pink skin, half green skin big red feathers that are also flowers shit like that where it's like just crazy nonsense actual visionary sci-fi not just writing someone else's tropes yes exactly that actually sounds, that stuff- does sound really fascinating oh those books always seem a little intimidating to me though because i'm always like oh it's like i'm used to the tropes they're familiar well in that book it's also really cool because that that trope that 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 setting she does a great job of like leaning it into I, what I thought was a con a talk or a concept or a, a I'm missing all the words that are important or meaningful. Um, a meditation and examination of the idea of, if you wor- live in a world that's this superficial, what happens to your own perspective on, on existence? Sure. 
would that would it in living in an exceptionally superficial world does that not inherently remove all significance from your own existence if you're only putting value in things that are insignificant or mm-hmm. or uh you know superficial right and that will erode the human soul like we have a society now where people are just empty and angry because they don't have anything real substantial to, uh, yeah they don't have any sub- substantial like identity or culture it's i mean i'm sort of talking for myself i what i see i see the, the world around me as being this way there's a proliferation of it it's not necessarily yeah. everybody but there's more of it than there was right and and these people are angry and despondent and they don't know why so they lash out at anything they're directed towards jfk jr is alive that kind of shit and it's like it's sad it makes me sad yeah yeah, read some Tannis Tannis Lee. Uh, read read Don't Bite the Sun. Apparently, Don't Bite the Sun might be a sequel, and it might be in a trilogy or a or a duology. I actually, I actually kind of miss those days where I just pick up a book and read it and love it, and then realize I'm in the middle of a series and there's more to read on both ends. Hey that man, was fun. I, that was fun. I found Don't Bite the Sun at Goodwill, and I was like, a title like this, you got it. <laughs> Like, don't bite the sun. I never thought to. So I, if you're going to tell me you not have to. have my attention. Yeah, I want to know why. It's not like the halfling's gem. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any more notes in this chapter? I have no more I... notes. All right, here's my overview. I feel like Salvatore is trying to flesh out the figurine command rules, but kind of seems to flutter between reasonable explorations to random declaratives to serve the greater good of making the cat cool. Like there's these parts where it's like only the person who possesses the cat can call it forth. But then there's all this caution about don't say the cat's name because you might accidentally call it forth. Right. Or, or like, the other guy, like I'm giving this to you, but I'm going to say the name, but I'm going to say it quietly. So I don't accidentally say it. Very confusing. It's, 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 it's like you're you you're in an attempt to be clear about the rules for this thing. You've muddied the water to a point where I don't know what is the reason for any of this caution. Because um, even and then it's all double undercut by the idea that when the person who commands the cat finally calls her him, the the cat doesn't obey. So then it's like, what is what is what is any of the rules? Do they? They don't matter. So the rules in your books also don't matter. Everything else doesn't matter, but the rules don't either. Okay, I don't care. Like I, as I said earlier, I there's there's not much further to fall in terms of my disappointment. Like it's just I don't. Okay, I don't care. It's not good. It's not gonna. It's not worse than it was a chapter ago. It's just mm-hmm. still bad. Um, we're just still in it. All right. Uh. What's the next last chapter is? Chapter 18. Double talker. See what I did there? I did. I like, you didn't see it. You know why I know you didn't see it? Because I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> Summary. I still saw it. Dritz and his companions find their way into the sewers leading to the Thieves Guild or whatever. Uh, Pasha's Pook's group is called. They're met by a large group of were rats and fight for 12 pages. Dritz gets separated from his friends and ends up fighting a goo monster. Caddy Bree is nearly killed by a crossbow bolt, and Wolfgar walks into Entreri's trap that separates him from the rest of the party. No notes. One note. Almost nothing to do with any of the content. Page 220. 
The only section of the lane that remained uncluttered by the hordes was the area in front of the unmarked structure on the back side of the circle, the guildhouse. As in the daylight, Bum sat against the building's walls on either side of its single door. I didn't like the use of the word bums. Hmm. Weird. Uh, it's 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 too modern a word. It, it would be like if they used the Hipsters. word Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, you could say vagrants, transients, homeless, beggars is quite popular in in, in fantasy. Bums. It was. It took me out of it. Not that I was too far into it, but still, I was like. It's just it's just another rock in your shoe. Yeah. Yeah. That's my only note in this action heavy chapter, as is usually the case for action heavy chapters. I'm so glad we ended this one on an action heavy chapter because I did not want to read anymore. It was fucking done. Hopefully there aren't too many of those left, but I feel like there's probably gotta be at least one big one, right? I think at least one big one. Fuck. Um yeah. (laughs) No, that chapter sucked. It was stupid, it was totally bullshit and dumb and I hated it. I don't like reading his writing when it's almost ever it's it's like it's like 10 percent of his writing is enjoyable yeah that's how it feels even if it's I not think... actually accurate that's how it feels that's 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 uh that's a good ratio i agree to it yeah all right um new word alert yeah <laughs> Tragedian? Tragedian. 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 Progedian? T-R-A-G-E-D-I-A-N. Tragedian. 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 I'm going to guess that it is a writer of tragedies. Yep. Boom. (laughs) I'm so smart. I can put root words and suffixes and pro thingies together. <laughs> pro prefixes, prefixes, whatever. Prefixes, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I yeah, didn't. I, I did like not it. know. I knew. I know what a comedian is. Mm-hmm. Did not know there was the. Uh, you ever been to a stand-up tragedian tra- show? <laughs> no. I have not. Uh, I might. I. I want to do it. <laughs> Take my wife. You can't. Because the she's dead. Devil already took her. Devil, I devil. The devil. <laughs> I was gonna try to say death, but only only the devil would come out. Only the devil would come out. Okay. <laughs> okay, Damien. All right. Well, fuck this book. Um, I am. I don't have anything else to say about this. Do you? Nope. All right. Well, next time we're reading chapter nineteen through the end of the book. So. <sighs> And I, I, I hope that's it. I hope you're not going to surprise me with Dritz Book 7. Buckle up, buckaroo, because we're done after this with this bullshit. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I believe that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thank you for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit.